0: Private, Christian, affordable. Visit
1: gcu.edu.
0: Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Nick Mills. Nick is a wonderful actor, he's also a teacher. And he's a really old friend of mine from college at the University of Evansville. We met when I was 17 and a freshman, and he was a junior. We ended up doing Othello together his senior year when he played Iago, and I played Desdemona. And now here we are, both in our 30s, and we live in New York City for a long time. We're both parents to little babies who have met each other, and it just makes me so incredibly happy to have people in my life for that long and to see them thrive. As I said, he's a wonderful actor and a thoughtful artist, and I've already been putting into practice some of the insights that he shared with me in this conversation. You can check out what he's up to at Mm nickmosesmills.com. And I hope you enjoy the 137th episode of The Compass. What do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist?
1: Well, the first thing that comes to mind is go running. So I you find run like marathons and stuff, right? Yes. I've run six marathons. Oh my god. I credit Liz Vidal with turning me into a runner. In college. Yeah. And what I've noticed is that anything that I'm feeling, whether it's depression about my career or my family or whatever it is, whatever that dark side, I always find that if I run it brings me back to myself something about the exercise and my mom noted too that that when i'm when you're exercising you're also breathing Mm -hmm. and so the breath can bring you down and center you and ground you and bring you back to who you are so that's the first thing that i would say that i do um but i've noticed as of late though it's kind of difficult not to go to the dark side just recently um I, I in general I feel like it's it's coming up more and more and I actually don't have the time to run like I normally do so I've had to find other ways to snap myself out of it um, are
0: you still working on finding those ways Yes yes those
1: <laughs> those are those ways are still in yeah. process I mean it's a lot of faking it to be honest
0: yeah I get that
1: I find that well like I'm hosting this. Dadcella next Friday Yes, that I've invited Frankie to.
0: He's really excited about. Which I'm
1: excited about. And uh, something I said in that invite, in that email, as I said, look, I noticed that my wife gets together with all her friends and a lot of women and they discuss motherhood and they have mom's groups and they discuss breastfeeding and balancing work and motherhood. But I noticed that dads don't do that very often. So mm-hmm. wouldn't it be nice if we all gathered and had a moment to share and talk and... Selfishly, I'm really doing it so that I can hear about all of my friends' successes and possibly steal some of their tools that keep them happy. But also, the real reason is to find out if I'm insane, <laughs> and to find out if they too are experiencing this darkness. Because I think
0: you're gonna find that they are. I,
1: I I'm hoping, and I imagine <laughs> I will. But. It's strange because career-wise, I find that I've been very lucky. Mm-hmm. I've, I've done just fine. I, in fact, I've, all the dreams that I had coming to New York have been accomplished in this odd way. I've been on Broadway. I've, I've been on television. I'm good, you know. Uh, I have this beautiful wife. I have two beautiful children. There shouldn't be a reason that I feel down or right. sad. And I do. In fact, the sadness and darkness that I've been feeling as of late has been probably more intense than it ever has been, hmm. which is surprising to me. And, I, right. and something I'm still grappling with. Like, wait a minute. Why would it come about now of all times?
0: Right. I, and it's, it's, it's hard to talk about because I, I feel some of that too, but it's hard to talk about when you're constantly... Um, not apologizing for it but say balancing it out with those things but like everything's great right but I'm dealing with this or everything's amazing in this section of my life but right yeah right that is an odd thing
1: one way I try to battle it is by just practicing gratitude and literally speaking it out loud is something I've been trying to do lately. Just to, It's like that whole idea where if you smile, it'll make you happy because the muscles in your brain mm-hmm. are, you know, if you smile, then the endorphins are released in your brain. Um, so lately I've just been saying it, especially in the mornings. I'm like, I'm so grateful for these two beautiful children I have. I'm so grateful for this wonderful mm-hmm. apartment I have and this great neighborhood. And that seems to sort of knock me out of it a little bit. And I discovered the purpose of life. Recently,
0: <laughs> Do tell. I would
1: like to share it with your listeners. Um, well, for me, that is. The purpose of life for me. Mm-hmm. Having watched so many people succeed around me and for many years dealing with my own jealousy and my own fear that it would never happen to me and then slowly moving to a point where once I realized that My friends' successes were also mine. As I said to Frankie actually recently, if if success were measured by the people that we keep company with, we would be the 1%. Yeah. Because of all the incredibly talented and fascinating, smart, joyful people that we call our friends and see on a regular basis. So when I got to the point of being like, okay, wait, I don't need to be jealous anymore. I can be thrilled and happy for people. And really got centered with that. I realized, okay, but what then does make me happy? Because I'm noticing, and I've learned, too, from all these successful people, the Reed Bernies of the world, the Rami Maleks of the world, that if anything, they're more unhappy when they find great success. Hmm. If anything, the ceiling, the bar is raised, the goalposts are moved, and no matter what, no matter what award, no matter what artistic endeavor that they achieve or you know are awarded they're still empty so I was like okay the business can never fulfill this happiness this is nothing new to anyone but it's it reiterated to me over and over again and I was like okay so what is it going to be and I find that doing just giving to others is the thing that makes me most happy and I actually think it is the secret to happiness of life mm. is is pure unadulterated giving whether it be volunteering or making my wife eggs in the morning having her lemon water ready when she wakes up small things yeah not in a way of of doing it so that you get it back but just purely giving and it's it's hard to remember I forget it every day I was like oh wait remember you told yourself this is the secret of happiness just give to other people and every other week I'm like oh yeah I forgot You know, because you're like get caught back up in the grind and the need to achieve or to prove yourself. And especially now, I think, with social media, like it makes it very strange because I I was part of a a short reading earlier this week and I emailed the director and she didn't get back to me for 24 hours. And I was like, I must have been really bad, must have been really disappointing to her. And that's why she's not returning the email. Right. But I'm like, why do I even like do this to myself? Why do I even like, put myself through this? Yeah. But I think it's just a different time. I don't know, do you feel that way ever?
0: About social media?
1: Well, or just about this, this sort of need to be validated in. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and I actually, um, like some of my best girlfriends from Evansville, like Lori and Kim and Polly and I have a group text. And I had seen on a blog this illustration that was like a chart with a big circle, and it said, like, times I think that people are angry with me. (laughs) And then, like, there was a close up um, that said, like, 1,000 times magnified dot of, like, times people are actually angry at me. Right. And I texted it to them, and it was just like, this is exactly how I feel all the time.
1: Well, and as my mom reminded me once, she's Some like, it's anxiety actually...
0: anxiety in that, yeah. It's...
1: Yeah, why? But she said, my mom said to me, she's like, you know, it's actually quite selfish to think that people are, like, going home and thinking about you.
0: Yeah, it, it is something about ego.
1: Yeah, of, like, saying, oh, everyone's thinking, oh, why did Nick say that? Or why was Nick so bad in that play or in that TV show? You and you i never you're like, Wait think a of it that way. I never go home and think about, oh, man, Leah was just... You know, awful and drunk o No, it's like the complete opposite. I'm like, oh my gosh, she was so amazing. And most of the time, that's what I think about all my friends. They're so yeah. great. I hope I didn't offend them. I just don't know why my mind goes there or why it needs to. It's it's actually like a lot of wasted thought it really when I is. think about it. A I could be doing so much more interesting things. A lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs>
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting to have that cycle of, you you know, even if you have a glimpse of something that where you're like, oh, this is the thing, this is the key that's going to help me with this place I keep going to. Right. That you have to keep reminding yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, it actually calls up some big questions for me because I love acting and I love this business. I still have a very strong desire to be a part of it and to be involved with it. But if I figured out now that like it's actually not going to de- deliver in the way that I want, what does mm-hmm. that mean? Because something about my path for me, like I've always thought about this, and even since I was young, is that my path is going to be one of delayed attainment. Like I never have skipped any levels. I've been an extra. I've been an understudy. I feel like I've done every step, and it's mm-hmm. always there's always been like growth, but it's been slow, and it's slow and steady and wins the race, Okay, great, it's a marathon. If it's going to, quote unquote, happen for me, it's going to be later in life. And so the idea of delayed attainment has always been really exciting to me because I see it as a marathon. I see it as a long, long process. But that being said, I'm wondering, like there's not going to be a day that I arrive at and say, well, I've I've done it. Like in any (laughs) other profession, as a doctor or as a lawyer, you can get to a certain pinnacle, and you're like, I've achieved monumental success and i'm satisfied and happy but i don't know that that day comes for an artist and i think that's a good thing because it makes you continually strive to keep creating and finding more but if it's not going to deliver in this way that i want to what does that mean (laughs) what does that mean do i need to find something else to do um and it's been fascinating especially since having kids and i would imagine this has been similar for you Having kids has done two things for me. It's done this thing where it's completely taken the charge off of succeeding. I'm like, okay, well, if I screw up this audition or this doesn't go so well on this stupid procedural television show that I've never seen an episode of, (laughs) who cares? Because I come home to this beauty and these amazing beings who completely rejuvenate me and keep me young and, and vital and joyous on the flip side, it has made me more ambitious and more hungry than I've ever been because I really don't like doing anything else. I don't want to <laughs> cater and I I like teaching, but I really don't want to make money any other way. Right. And so I actually have to be more ambitious if I want to participate and, and contribute to my family. And so it's a very strange thing. It's like, I, I don't care anymore. And yet I care more than ever. And I, I just have not figured out how to reconcile that.
0: Well, that, that's, that's the big question, is when you combine art with commerce. Right. And that is what defines the success around it now in, in our society. And I, when you were saying like how you had always looked at your career, that it would be like delayed, mm-hmm. um, what was the word you use? Delayed attainment. Delayed attainment. Um, and I was thinking, I was like, oh, what did I always say to myself? And I guess I always said to myself that I just wanted to be able to like make my living as an actor.
1: That's exactly what I said. I never needed. And then I was
0: like, why would I, I, why would I define it that way? But then that's a perfectly justifiable way to define it, you oh, know? yeah. But I'm defining it by money, not by what I want to be making.
1: Right, know? right. Well, I, yeah, I or would that's say something unsaid,
0: I guess what I want to be making is the unsaid part of that, but.
1: Well, I would say something similar. Like, I would always just say, I, would, I just want to live off what I love to do. I don't need right. to be... I don't need to I don't be need the accolades. Making I don't,
0: millions, No, but
1: I think about, like, actors like Campbell Scott, or I ran into this actor um, at the playground yesterday, Noah, <laughs> Noah Emmerich, who is in Little Children, who everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know that name, and he's got this very strange face, and, and he's been in a million things, he's always excellent, but he can walk down the street mm-hmm. and people kind of recognize him, but aren't bombarding him. I'm like, Oh, I would that love would that life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the ideal. But I'm sure he's also like, man, I wish I was doing more. You know, there's probably still something in him that wants more. Right. But I think living off what you love to do is just a perfect cool. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that, that is the one thing, uh, with the people who who have gotten to a certain point success-wise that I am jealous about. It's not the awards. It's not Mm -hmm. the, you know, being recognized. It's not having to hustle for the next gig. Right, and not
0: having to worry about money.
1: Right, yes. Although, I will say this. Having married a woman whose family has a lot of money, Mm Whether you have it or you don't have it, there's worries around it no matter what, and there's complications around it no matter what. And that has been a big, that, that, that marrying Ashley has been the best thing of my life, but it brought up so many, many complications for me internally, nothing that she brought to the table, all stuff that I have brought to the table and still do bring to the table, to be honest, mm-hmm. because I always had problems making money. I was always bad with it. I am bad with it. I mean, it's just true. Like I have tons of tons of student loan debt, tons of credit card debt, and it's not because I'm buying clothes or CDs that don't exist anymore. Um, (laughs) It's because when I'm out with friends, I pick up the tab because I want to be generous.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: and as Ashley said to me recently, she's like, sometimes your generosity sets us back financially. And, it's, and it was so hard to hear. And I was like, oh, man, that's really tough. Because I'm, I'm coming from a good place. Right. But it's actually not helping. Right. And so that's been a hard pill to swallow. And it's also, you know... And
0: it's something that I'm sure your friends aren't expecting either.
1: Right. They're not expecting it at all. They don't need it.
0: But in the moment, it- probably feels, great it, feels really good.
1: It. It, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels really good. but it, it's fascinating I think I, I'm fascinated that I attracted this person who came from a lot of wealth from a, her father is totally self-made and worked his ass off and you know didn't come from money and now is investing completely in renewable energy and s- solar panels and you know has worked seven days a week to make the world better. And that's all on him. And, and Ashley, too, you know, runs a nonprofit and has a new startup with Madre Collection for a clothing line uh, for breastfeeding mothers. And, you know, these are very passionate, driven people, just like me. But it's just I find it interesting that I've sort of attracted this person who's complete opposite of me financially. And I am the one that has to really reckon myself to how do I, and w- what was interesting for the first three years of our marriage was like I was working on Broadway, I had the steady check, and now we 've hit this little patch where i don 't have work and i 'm home with the kids and it's it's tough, Frankie, and I spoke about it you know it's it 's this strange thing as a man, sort of this embedded caveman bullshit, <laughs> if I can say that on this show yeah. um, that makes you think that you need to be out there doing it and working and contributing in this way that's really just so archaic when it comes right down to it but it's still in me Mm -hmm. you know um but the more and more I just sort of accept like I'm doing the best work by just being home with my kids and like reading to them and making sure that especially my son grows up in a world where he realizes that it's important to be kind and generous and that women are much smarter than us and <laughs> we should let them run the world and all those things. It's a very interesting time to be a man, you know, and yeah. it's like, you know, especially raising a man. Ashley and I talk about it a lot. Um, but maybe that's a different show. I don't know. <laughs> no, I love, I love this show.
0: <laughs> um, so your daughter is two. Two and a half. Two and yeah. a half. And then your son is...
1: Eight months. eight months
0: one month younger than sassy yeah yeah that is a um that is an interesting task raising a man mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: i have to say i mean obviously we would have been completely thrilled whatever baby we had had boy or girl but i i just because i'm a woman i guess i was slightly more inclined to feel like i knew what was happening if i had a girl
1: Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we had a
0: girl. Mm-hmm. And then I, I had to remind myself that, like, oh, if we have a boy, it's going to be our boy. And mm-hmm. it's going to be a piece of me. And it's going to be a piece of Frankie, who is this kind of man that I want to see in the world and the one that I chose to be with the sensitive, thoughtful, you know, warm hearted guy. And mm-hmm. that our son would somehow learn about those things, you know. But I, I you know, it's a scary time. To be a man in this world, and yeah, I mean it's be like it is interesting an... to raise one.
1: I think we've had it really easy, you know. I was, I mean, was we were watching. I
0: don't know if I said that correctly. It's a scary, it's a scary time to negotiate raising one. I don't
1: yeah, know. yeah. Well, it's just interesting because I think at home is really where they're going to learn how to be a person. Yeah. And I'm not too worried about that between Ashley and I that yeah. we're going to raise like a really sensitive, sweet, caring, empathetic lovely man who he already is that. But it's amazing in society how intertw- ingrained it is. Sim- something as simple as I was i was showing Ava Beauty and the Beast yesterday. And I was watching, I was like, oh my god, Gaston's behavior is <laughs> awful. He is just d- disturbing Yes. in how he expects this to happen. And then at the end, when the beast is dying, <laughs> And Belle is standing over him being like, oh, my God. She goes, it's all my fault. And I was like, wait, no, it's not. <laughs> I mean, you're just doing your thing, trying to read books and get out of the town and like, live your life. But why, are, why, is it, why do they say you know, that it's all the woman's fault for, all, for some reason? Yeah. But this has been the way it's been for a long time. And so we're in this like, very wonderful opportunity, opportune time to change that, to change that ideal. Um it's funny with the Ashley wanted a girl I was very set on having a girl and still wants a girl. she wants Ava to have a sister
0: right she has lots of sisters so right I'm sure
1: right, but I, even since I was a little boy, always said I want a girl first and a boy second oh wow and it going back to this whole idea of you know this thought that I keep having sometimes of like i I have everything I want. It's strange to have that thought sometimes because you realize how powerful your mind can be. You're like, okay, I want to be on Broadway. Alright, you were on Broadway. I want to have a girl first. I want to have a boy second. That happened. <laughs> and so then when these things happen, you start to go, okay, now what do I want? And I have not been able to answer that question yet.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know what the next thing is. I can say little things like, oh, I'd love to like go to the movie theater and see myself on the big screen someday, even if it was like extra extra read all about like paperboy or something like that (laughs) just one time just to say that that would be wonderful but i don't know what that next thing is i'm still Mm -hmm. figuring that out and that's a strange scary place to live in of like okay now what
0: there's also a lot of opportunity there though that it could be anything it could be
1: could be anything but you know how sometimes when you have yeah so many options how do you settle on one
0: yeah do you have any other artistic outlets? Have you ever been someone who writes for yourself or yeah. stuff you share with others? Or
1: Oddly enough, after I finished NYU, when I moved to Los Angeles mm-hmm. and Liz Vidal and I started our theater company Vitality Productions, those five years out there where I was eating shit and never auditioning and working as a caterer and a driver and a bartender and a Host at a fine dining restaurant. I was more artistically satisfied in those five years, I think, than I ever have been. Wow! Because we were creating stuff from the ground up. We were writing strange little pieces that we were doing at the Fringe Festival. Uh, I wrote a one-man show that I did at Ars Nova. I, I didn't. Ca- I was emailing people our reviews, being like, "Get to our show! Like this is what you need to be seeing." In L.A., you know, this theater in L.A. is so hot right now. Actually, it's gotten a lot better. But it's been fascinating to think back on that time and remember how productive I was and remember how artistically driven I was. And I don't know about what it is about getting older, being 38 now, and I was, that was when I was 25 to 30, and I just had so much confidence and naivete about the world. Right. <laughs> but I miss that. I missed yeah. that time. And I did do a lot of writing then.
0: What was your one-man show about?
1: It was called Baby Talk. And it was about... This is before I had kids. It was about a man who comes home with these two twins just coming home from the hospital. And he can't... They, they keep crying. And they won't stop crying. And he doesn't know how to calm them. So he starts telling them stories. But also the big question is like, so wait, where's their mom? right? And so he starts, I was, I was fascinated with trying to bring more multimedia elements into live theatrical pieces. And so we filmed all these home videos with Bill Heck's wife, Maggie Lacey. And so he started showing the babies, these videos of their Hmm. absent mother. And this sort of revealed during the show that they had the kids, but he was always he always really wanted kids, and she wasn't quite sure. And then somehow at the hospital, she she disappeared, and bolted, and he was left alone with these two children. Kind of been like an odd thing now that I'm saying it out loud, but it just gave me an excuse to be. I wanted to I wanted a real reason to talk on stage by myself. I didn't want to just tell stories. I wanted to have someone to talk to. So I chose these babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was great. I really. I, I love writing. I find we don't really, when we're in between jobs or, and you know, if you've gone to a lot of school, you really don't want to go to class anymore. And a friend of mine said yeah. to me the other day that like the way you practice, if you want to be an actor, you know, the way you like work the muscle is to write. And I think that's so true. Finding the time for it is hard. I've never been someone who just can be disciplined and do it every day, mm-hmm. but when i do write it happens very quickly and it goes really fast and tends to be really dark and strange and i never know where it's going but i really enjoy it and i wish i did it more and i do like directing i do i mean i i would i'm happy to do all the disciplines i re- i mean producing was such an enjoyable thing to do with liz out in la but there's something about it now that maybe it's because the that art and commerce thing of like do I really want to like bust my ass to do a little play somewhere for 50 people
0: well and it's your time now too it's more valuable because of your kids right Frankie and I talk about that all the time if it's if he's been offered to do like a reading or something and it's a week for $75 and you know we're gonna be spending $100 a day on babysitting or whatever it is like how much, how is the play something he's really passionate about? If it's not, it's not worth it. You know, what? how are you balancing that time? Right. How valuable your time is.
1: Right. Right. I got asked to do a reading. I was really excited. And and then I read the play. And I said yes without reading the play. Because I was like, God, I just need something to work on.
0: Uh-huh.
1: The play was really bad. But I was happy to be in a room for a week with a great director and great actors. But it really kind of you know, took me away from my family for five days in a row and didn't pay that much and didn't really fill the hole. And so then you say, okay, so was that worth it to do? But I kind of think because we're not in a, it's a strange art form because like, especially if you go to all the school you can go to, like we've done (laughs) and you still don't get to do it every day. It's a strange so thing to reconcile, it's because you're so like, I should, everyone else goes to 10 years of medical school, and then they not only get to work every day, but they get to make a bunch of money from it, yeah. too.
0: That's something that I have not reconciled.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I posted something recently when I, I paid off the student loans I had, and it, I posted something about how like thrilled I was and like proud of myself, and right. simultaneously, at the very same time, how frustrated and angry I was that I had had to do it mostly through other jobs that right. had nothing to do with my degrees.
1: Right. It was an amazing post. I remember reading it.
0: Um, and it's just so frustrating.
1: Now, do you feel, now that your loans are paid off, do you feel different? Like, is there anything? No. Yeah.
0: But I have to say, like, I did not have as many as some people because I had a free living situation during school. So, like, right. Frankie has many more loans than I did. I, right. Mine were mostly for tuition. but Right. It feels good to have them paid off. Yeah. Because even though I'm still not making money doing what I am trained for, while I was paying the loans and not getting a chance to work as an actor, that was like a special thorn in my side. Sure.
1: <laughs> sure. I mean, essentially, I'm just paying the interest on my loans at this yeah. point. But I wonder, like, because I, w- I try to look at it and it's like, this is denial talking right now and <laughs> rationalization because I'm like, okay, so I open up my computer and I click. And then, quote, unquote, the loan is paid, right? <laughs> and but I see no change you know, right. in my life. It just is a number that's different on the screen. And even if I'm late on the loans, it's not even a person who's calling me. It's an automated something that's calling me, right? It's like some strange voice. And so does that...
0: Do the loans exist? Right.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and is anyone going home being like, oh, i got to get that money from Nick Mills. <laughs> he really better pay me. No, it's like it goes to some big bank or something. The
0: system is so large, it's hard to even imagine.
1: Yeah, which is like a really easy reason just to say, I'm not going to pay these things. (laughs) It doesn't really help in the long run. But I do wonder if if and when the day comes that there's a zero, if I'm going to feel different or if I've just sort of learned to live with them. I mean, when I first got out of school, it really did affect me. I was terrified and it shot my ego and my confidence down to zero and I was terrified i was scared i was scared someone was going to come and knock on the door and take me away and i actually didn't know that you couldn't go to debtor's prison for a while like my mom told me she's like you know like no one's gonna come and like take your stuff or anything i'm like well they could garnish my wages i'm like she's like yeah but it'll take a while you're not alone it's gonna be okay (laughs) and then through a lot of just like you know denial you just move on and figure out your day you can't you can't let it Tear you down. Um, stupid loans. Stupid loans. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, let's not talk about let's that.
0: Let's not talk about that anymore.
1: <laughs> uh- Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our shred membership. For 130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach sweat platinum. At
0: Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training, and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Um, do you have any artistic mentors that have been important to you over your career?
1: That's a good You know, the people who come to mind are my contemporaries, uh, are my friends. Right now, I look at Aryan Moyet as a real mentor. He is an actor who I understudied in the humans. He's a wonderful, kind, generous Iranian man who is a year older than me. He's 39. I don't know if he knows this, and interestingly, when I first met him, I really didn't like him. In fact, some of my best friends in the world, when I first meet them, I hate them. Rami <laughs> Malik, when I first saw him at Evansville, I was like, don't want to be friends with that cocky asshole. There's no way. And then, strangely, they end up becoming some of my closest friends.
0: That's interesting. That's
1: an odd thing. Aryan is so incredibly ambitious and so incredibly hardworking he does not stop he's got his company at waterwell he's constantly creating events he's constantly doing socially conscious work he doesn't sleep which I think helps like he, he really only can he can like make it on three or four hours of sleep oh my god and it's, it's constantly impressive to me at just how hard he works and how ambitious he is and how he supports his family and stays so positive. And to some people, I think it's off putting because he, he's just so selflessly himself. Does that make sense? Um, he's, very, he's, he's just what you see is what you get. But it comes from, I think, the fact that he's from, her, from Iran, or his family's from Iran. And being an immigrant, he's always had to feel like he has to work harder than anyone else. And, you know, being a white male, you don't really grow up with that
0: mm-hmm.
1: push. You're like, you like, you're kind of invisible and you can kind of just skate by on a lot of things. So currently, right now, he's someone who I really look up to because of his constant ambition and other contemporary, I find I get so much just out of talking to my friends recently. Uh, I've, I've learned a lot uh, watching everything that's happened to Rami, mm-hmm. and it's been fascinating. You know, you never really think that your best friend is going to have this crazy path and this crazy career and win every award and win the Oscar, and so that has just been a fascinating thing to to watch happen, and I'm so proud and happy for him, and it really couldn't happen to a better person. Uh, he's incredibly humble throughout the process, but, you know, walking down the street with him now is fascinating because he's lost his anonymity, and right. when you lose your privacy, it's just like, well, what else do you have?
0: Yeah, what does that do?
1: Yeah, but it's been, I've, learned, I've learned a lot about the business as opposed to the art form from him, which mm-hmm. is such an important... Thing. And I think th- from both of those guys, watching them say no so much has been something that I never, you know, every, everyone's, you know, even acting teachers, is just like, just say yes, just say yes. <laughs> and so you're ingrained with this idea that you can never turn things down. But there's so much power in no. And there's so much, and I'm still learning it. But that's something that I found has been really helpful is just to remember that people will come back around if you say no um I'm trying to think of other artistic mentors I, I would i would also i would also throw reed Bernie in there not and 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 his his mentorship has been interesting because we're sort of on a break with our friendship right now mm-hmm. not f- because of me but for his own reasonings he's needing to step away from from a group of friends that he that were Reminding him of a sore spot with a certain show that he was part of, but his mentorship has come in, I want to say, I don't think he's going to be listening to this. And even if he is, then I don't, I would say this to his face, his, um, his hatred for hmm. the business and for the people who have stepped on him. And I would listen to him talk about all these people who have wronged him and all these people who have, uh, you know, he's soured to over the years and all these wonderful people he's worked with. And, And I find Reed to be just the most wonderful, sweet, generous, kind person who's just this extraordinary actor who I loved. I got to do The Humans with him in Los Angeles last summer, and it was just a joy to work with him. It was like one of those actors who you look at and you can't help but be really good and really truthful because they just are so good and they bring it out of you. It was such a joy to have that feeling every night. You're like, I don't have to do any work. I just have to look in that person's eyes and they make me good. But his disgust of the industry, I've learned that I never want to, I never want to feel that way. I never want to, I want to like be able to continue to practice gratitude even with all the challenges that this brings. And never want to sour mm-hmm. and be bitter because there's just no time for that there's no time for it and and why would you why would you do this if it brings you so much disgust and angst now what i have learned is that there's a lot of artists out there who who thrive on that it drives them you know it's like those couples who fight <laughs> and they're like I'm like oh my god I, you know
0: but it's just the way that they communicate it's the way
1: they communicate yeah. they yell you know if I were to raise my voice like this talking to Ashley she'd say don't yell and I'm like whoa that's hold Fra- on
0: Frankie and I kind of make that as a joke now
1: oh right like because you said that, yeah.
0: we're like don't yell at me right and I'm like
1: whoa this is not <laughs> yelling and it's a little foreign to me because I, I grew up yelling with my family we yelled we fought but it's actually really great because you you have to figure out how to be clear and kind and, and succinct with what you're about to say without getting upset. It's been great. But some people need it. Some people like to yell. Some people like to fight. And some people, I think, the bitterness and the disgust drives them as an artist.
0: And this business makes it easy because of all the rejection and everything. I think right. it, ma- it makes it very easy to fall into that trap. Right. Because it makes you feel active. It's like you're doing something. Oh, by, by railing you, against it? Right. Even yeah. when you feel like you don't have anything else to control. Right. It makes you feel like you're doing something.
1: Right. Right.
0: Very dangerous. But the
1: rejection, I find, I feel like I've gotten to a really zen place with it, to be honest. Because it's happened so much mm-hmm. that I really no longer take it personally. I've really found that I'll you know, put all my eggs in one basket, think something went really well. And it doesn't happen. And I've really been able to be like, okay. And you just go. You just go on. Because there's just no point in like, you've, you 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 don't you didn't get the part. So there's nothing else to be done about it, right? You just have to move on. And I've been sort of surprised at how easy it's been to just keep going.
0: Was that a gradual process for you? Or was there something where it finally clicked and you were like, you know what? I'm okay with this.
1: Well, I think it's because I grew up in high school and in college never like there was ne- I never was a blue chip like I never had a paved path of success like from the beginning I was losing parts so I think I just got used to it really early I never really expected to get the lead and you know in college for example when we did Othello mm-hmm. and you played Desdemona and I played Iago yeah the reason I played Iago yes was because like I was good at that part but also because junior year sophomore year I worked my ass off to show that I really wanted it I was like head of paint I did sound design like I did all these things to try and be like yo give me a part now I'm ready and I want it and I can work hard for it so in some ways I felt like I got that because like I I worked for it in a way Hmm. um and it also was at the very end of school, you know. It wasn't like I got great roles before that. I got cast. Right,
0: that was your senior year. But that
1: was my senior year. That was my big thing. And some people didn't get anything, you know. Rami went through four years of Evansville and never got a good part. I mean, you got a decent part sophomore year. But
0: mm.
1: you should have him on your show and ask him about Evansville. Should. He should. I haven't some...
0: seen him in years, and I would love to catch oh, he'd, him.
1: Oh, he'd happily, I think, come do this. But, you know, he... He's he has some bitterness when it comes to Evansville. I'm sure he he feels like he he his education came from being on set and working, and it's interesting how Evansville has now really wanted to cash yes. in yes. on everything that's happened there. He's like, yo, you're giving he 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 was given an award at Evansville, and he called them and said, "What are you going to say? Because <laughs> I wasn't in anything, you know. I was in studio shows, and, right." You never really gave me a shot. Uh, a microcosm of the industry at the time, I suppose. Um, yeah. but That's a
0: longer conversation. Yes, indeed, indeed.
1: <laughs> Thanks for keeping us on track. No, You're a very good host.
0: Um, <laughs> is there anything that you've uh, learned about auditioning in kind of the last couple of years that you feel has changed the way you approach it as you've gotten farther away from grad school and everything?
1: mm I'm someone who always has to be off book to act. Yes. So I find Me that I, I still need to memorize my lines in this way. Uh, that is where I know them back and forth so that I can play in the room. Uh, I have been auditioning for more TV and film recently, which is such a different beast. And I feel such freedom when I'm auditioning for plays And I feel such freedom being able to make choices and use the space. And I really sort of feel like I'm a king in the room when I audition (laughs) for a play. I just know what I'm doing. Uh, and And I don't know if that's just comfort on being on the stage, but recently I think with auditioning for TV and film, I've started to realize that it's less about my lines and more about being open to affect. And really opening myself up to like how I'm feeling, slowing down, really listening, and and knowing too that it, even though it is about you know how do you feel, showing how you feel, that you are especially for the roles that I'm auditioning for, which are you know large co-stars and guest stars. It's not like these long character arcs. You are you are a cog in a Right in a in a wheel or you know whatever that expression is you, you're telling you, you you're fulfilling exposition and story and so you have to just do that and not think that it's your big moment to like show your Oscar winning tears right. that you just have to tell the story and so in some ways it's become a lot simpler but auditioning for TV and film is always it took me a long time to get comfortable doing that something about it I felt very stiff and nervous and afraid and the more that I've I've uh, combined the way I feel in the room, auditioning for theater and trusting that I don't necessarily have to be really small. I can really still like trust my choices and audition in the same way for TV and film that I do for theater, the more success I've had. Um, And really owning it too. I I think the last thing I booked, for a really like intense and scary casting director that people always talk about, Mark Sachs, who's actually lovely and wonderful. <laughs> he's just a sweet person, but sometimes in the room, he you know he'll do this thing where he'd be like, "Hi Nick, you ready? Okay, great, action." And you're like, "What?" Oh, I just okay, and I knew that going in. He's like, "Have a seat." And I'm like, "I'm actually gonna stand." He goes, "Really? Okay." This way of like, "Well, you're not gonna get this part." But I was like, no, this is my space. This is my time, and right. I love. I always love this quote that Billy Crudup said. It's like when you audition, it's your one guaranteed time that you're playing the part. So how are you going to do it? Yeah. And the more and more I just sort of trust that, the better I, f- the better I feel. I also too, since I was a kid, since I was 12 years old. I would say nine times out of ten, I know if I got the part or not hmm. when I walk out of the room. I knew it like. You, you have you just have a sense I think when you when the air moves how they react you know when you're really good like I sometimes I've walked out and been like oh that was bad and then I got it but those are few and far between most of the time I leave and if I don't get a call and I, and I feel good about it and I don't get a call I'm surprised hmm. and I don't know if that's cocky or just how my process has been but something comes over it's a, it's like that thing when you're acting where you know you're completely going after your objective and doing everything right you're sort of like standing on the head of a needle and if you go too far forward after what you want you fall off if you're too vulnerable and open to affect then you fall backwards and you're just in that sort of strange zone almost like an athlete where you just can't miss and time slows down and you're just good And it doesn't happen very often. But when it does, and especially in an audition room, then usually you book it, (laughs) you know?
0: We don't talk about this if you don't want to, but how has it been for you and Ashley since you're both artists, Mm. like navigating that in your relationship, how you Mm. support each other and how you balance, you know, the demands when one of you has an opportunity to work Versus when the other one does.
1: Mm. Well, the wonderful thing about Ashley is that when we met, she cast me. That's how we met. (laughs) I got this email right after. Because she's
0: primarily a producer.
1: Well, now. I would say primarily now she's an entrepreneur. She runs Vineyard Arts Project, and she started that when she was 19. Oh my god. And has been running it for 10 years, and now it essentially just runs itself. The public comes up, Ars Nova comes up, all these incredible dance companies come up. It's it's an incredible organization on Martha's Vineyard, that uh, where they workshop new pieces in dance and theater, uh, just incredible setting. And so, right when I moved back from Los Angeles, I got this email from an artistic director that said someone has dropped out of this reading. Can you come up to Martha's Vineyard on Monday? I think it was a Friday. And I was like, yeah, sure. I expected this fifty-year-old woman to <laughs> be there, and it was Ashley picking me up in the in the uh, um, in the parking lot. And I was with someone else at the time, so and I think she was as well, so it was really easy to become friends. It was like one of those people that you meet, you're like, oh man, if I was single, I'd <laughs> totally be after this person. But we're with other people, so we can flirt, and it's safe, and it's fine. We got to know each other, and we were friends for two years. And so the wonderful thing about that is that you know she's not a civilian. She is an artist, and she gets it. She gets the world. And since we had children, she has become incredibly passionate about breastfeeding, and even after producing a very successful off-Broadway play, uh, and having investments in Broadway plays, and essentially thinking that she was a producer and that's what she wanted to do, she's made a complete 180, and now is has started this clothing line for breastfeeding mo- mothers. Uh, chic, efficient, sexy clothing, called, it's called Madri Collection, and it really took off. They got a great shout out in Vogue right at, right after they launched. It's beautiful, beautiful article. And
0: she's done this like immediately after having children.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and it's so, so it's Which this is funny incredible thing. Incredible to me. Yeah, it's sort of this funny thing too, where like now she has two companies, and you know it's an odd thing when you wake up one day and your partner's like, oh, I don't I actually don't want to be a producer anymore, hmm. or or I if I do, I want to do it maybe another time, but right now I want to do this other thing. And you sort of go, okay, great. And so what's great about that is that, you know, when you get an email and it says, can you be in this reading tomorrow and you're going to be gone all day, she says, yeah, go, do it. This is important. And the highs are really high when you're working. And then she also understands when the lows are really low. But it is difficult to navigate, I think, in any relationship being an artist just because, there's so little control. I have so little control over if and when I'm going to work again. I know I will somewhere deep down, but I don't know when it's going to be, and I don't know how it's going to be, and I don't know if it's going to take me out of town or how much money it's going to be. And she's very accepting and very supportive of all that. And and I think handles it way better than me. I have a tendency to get dark and down and depressed, and she's not like that. She's very even-keeled mm. and stays very you know just she's a very happy person I would say and we were just talking about this last night there's been a shift in us recently in our relationship because we're always good we're I feel really lucky because we can't stay mad like we can't go to bed angry we have to talk it out before we fall asleep we just we're just a couple that has to f- communicate and when I was going a a month or so ago and I was just having like several days in a row of just being really sad and really down, I realized that I was like, there's only so long that you can just mope around because things aren't going your way. If anything, I just need to start supporting her because she's an artist, right? And we're together. And so in the same way that she was like, look, you need to figure out this debt thing because it's my debt too, legally. Now that we're married. And I was like, so like Madri Collection, her company is also in some way mine. And so yesterday when we we're doing a photo shoot to get one for her new dress that she created, you know, this is, we're supporting each other's endeavors together. Yeah. And so that actually, it's freeing in a way. Yeah. Because it's not just about me. It's about us as a whole. And and both of us have such strange jobs that allow us to be home all day with these beautiful children which at times we rail against thinking oh we're missing out we should be doing something we should be out but then you hear about these other situations where you have to work all day yeah and you know when you guys were over last weekend or two weeks ago and you were saying I was like oh
0: the grass is always always (laughs) green
1: right um So I feel really, really lucky and really grateful to have someone who understands this business and understands the highs and lows of it. And she's constantly pushing me to to not wait around hmm. and to say, Okay, well, if you're dissatisfied with the lack of control, then like, let's look into maybe some sort of longer sustainable teaching job or you know, this seems to make you really happy and it's not involved in maybe we can like work towards that because I, w- I think you would agree that most of the jobs you end up booking, it's not because your agent just picks up the phone and is like, hey, I found something for you. You know, it's just like you, you usually get the job yourself. It's because someone you know, or you call them and you say, hey, I've got something here that I figured out. And they're like, oh, okay, great.
0: Give me 10%. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. But so uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for how lucky i am to have to, to to be with her uh and it's just so interesting too because you know like i said we were friends for so long and i had this crush on her and and she was like no there's no way and we were watching this movie last night on netflix always be my maybe i just
0: watched which it this which is wonderful week. It was so good. we
1: loved it and and there was some line in the movie about taking a chance I'm like I'm so glad I took a chance on me and I said to her when we were watching last night I'm like I'm so glad you took a chance on me look how it worked look how it turned out like we're good um so yeah
0: got a strong team
1: yeah we definitely have a strong team which is good which is good and we're so in the weeds right now and so underwater
0: two tiny children we had
1: like this wonderful experience because we wanted a baby right away and so we started trying right after we got married and we got a baby and then I, I, th- I look at it in this really wonderful way because we got a baby and then a year later we were completely shell-shocked and surprised, completely unexpected, complete accident. I mm-hmm. mean, not an accident, Marlo, but <laughs> totally glad you're here. But I love having that, both of those experiences. Like, I really wanted it and I was totally surprised. And now I know exactly what both of those <laughs> things feel like. Um, um, and now I couldn't imagine it any other way. Right. He was meant to be.
0: When you're teaching, what kind of teaching is it usually... What are we talking about for adults or kids or...?
1: Most of my experience, I think, comes from comes teaching kids. Uh, I'm a sub at Waterwell for the Professional Performing Arts School. Mm. Uh, I've taught at Rosie's Theatre Kids. Uh, I volunteer at the 52nd Street Project, which is incredible. Uh, I find I've always loved kids, and and... I really enjoy teaching acting to kids. However, I think I would be more fulfilled by teaching to, a, like, an older set of kids. When I get to sub for, like, the seniors at Waterwell in high school, I really, really enjoy working with a higher caliber of actor. Because sometimes when you're teaching acting to 7th graders yeah, or 6th so graders, it's kind of, of like babysitting. Yeah. 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 Um, and I love teaching. I think it's—I'm I, I, quite fulfilled by it. And it also— makes you a better actor because you're, you're telling these kids to do all these things. And you're like, oh, wait, am I doing I all these things? Doing <laughs> things? Do I do all
0: these things, too?
1: Um, and, I, and I feel, too, though, that I, in some ways, as a teacher, I've kind of plateaued, like I'm going over the same exercises again, saying the same things, starting to realize, OK, I actually need to maybe go and observe some class Yeah. and go back. And NYU allows you to do that anytime you can always come back and observe. And I'm like, maybe I just need to get back into it a little bit. Um, And it's sort of this funny thing that kids do, too, to make you think, like, you're never going to work again. Or, like, especially in the first year, you're thinking, like, oh, I'm missing out on so much. And then you forget, that oh, eventually they're going to go to school. And you're going to get all this time back. And then what What are you going to do? Right. You're going to have your days free again. And so you're going to have to figure that out.
0: Right. You can't stop your own self-development just because you're so invested in theirs. Right,
1: exactly. Yes, that's really Which well is said. Which very
0: hard to remember right now.
1: Yeah. But right now is so the much. time to, to be <laughs> invested in theirs. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, they say the first five years is really yeah. instrumental in their development. Ashley's one who, who admittedly likes to be the boss. She wants to be the boss. She doesn't want to work for anyone. I would like to be the boss as well, but the nature of our business doesn't really allow that. There's so many other people that are in control besides us. Right. And I guess the deal with the devil that we make is that we get all the glory, <laughs> you know, being, you know, in the, the limelight.
0: The face of the project.
1: Right, exactly.
0: So just two quick questions. It, when you are in that dark place, are there any like tangible things that you reach for again and again, like a book you reread or music you listen to or something like that? I know we talked about running.
1: Mostly what I do is is look at it, instead of thinking about what I'm lacking, is looking around in the things that I have in a really basic way. Something as simple as, like, dude, you live in New York City. You moved from Indiana to New York City. You said you were going to do it, and you did it. And so I just sort of kind of go down the checklist. It's, it's things as simple as, like, water mm-hmm. and and really basic things that I take for granted. I mean, and especially now with where I live compared to even, you know, five years ago, you know, and I try and, I try and get really simple with it, uh, about just first world problems kind of situation that usually tends to snap me out of it for, for a little bit. Um, and also, you know, being single is really hard. And, and I was single for a long time. And so I have a lot of gratitude for just, and for feeling, I just feel really lucky that I found my mate. Yeah. Um, because it's just, it's just hard to be on your own. And I knew that I wasn't gonna find the person that I was supposed to be with until I was able to love myself enough to just be alone. So when I got to that point when I was like, actually, you know what, I really love myself and I'm like really okay with being on my own. And that's when I met Ashley. And so I know in hindsight, obviously in retrospect, that I had to get to that place to be open to that opportunity of finding her. But at the end of the day, it's really it really hits me, even on a sad day, And right now I'm sleeping on the couch because I have to get up really early with Ava and she's up all night with Marlo. But it's usually at the end of the day when I spoon her (laughs) that I go, oh, God, I have everything. I have it all. And that's what sort of jogs me out of my memory or out of the dark place. Like, I have this person, thank God. You know. Thank God. Yeah. Um, Cuddling is good.
0: (laughs) Cuddling is the answer to most things. (laughs) Uh, the last question is, is have you seen anything recently of any art form that you want to recommend?
1: Sure. Sure. What the Constitution means to me really, really did it for me. That was incredible. I like to always be my maybe. <laughs> that was lovely. Um, let me think.
0: I know they don't make enough like classic romantic comedies anymore. I, I know. I'm so and pleased it's fr- watching it. I, I like, know. I love this.
1: I know Um, what was this other romantic comedy that we recently watched with Rebel Wilson where she's like isn't "Isn't it romantic romantic? I haven't seen it but I remember when it came out that was fun that was lovely we really enjoyed watching that Um, this documentary that I'm blanking on the name of about um, all of the women that were running for Congress on Netflix I haven't seen that Um, yet what is that called it's with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, did I say that name right? I did. And uh, that that is something that I'm always trying to feel... You know, I think as, as artists, we're always usually very politically engaged as well in ter- terms of trying to be more involved in our community. And it's something that I'm always beating myself up about because I'm like, oh, I just don't have enough time to, like, march or volunteer. And it's such bullshit. Like, there's so many ways to be active. And that was, like, a film that really made me realize, okay, I can do this, I can step up. And if there's any silver lining of this current administration, it's that it's driven people to act and driven people to get involved. Yes, and that's great.
0: Um, Knock down the house.
1: Knock down the house, that's it, yes. Yes. And I heard someone say something recently, which I think is really wonderful and important. Oh, it was the, the playwright, Claudia Rankine, of of the white card and, and citizen, she said, "I'm really afraid that if a Democrat gets in the White House in 2020, that everyone's going to think everything is back to normal, mm. and we just and the, and, and everyone's going to go, oh so sweet, it's over, it's over, and it's not. This is it's like not over. clearly lifted a Band-Aid. We live in a very strange country with a lot. It's very big, and there's a lot of different people who have different ideas about how it's supposed to be run, and clearly we're not all going to." agree but I feel like there's some certain moral issues that have to be ironed out and have to be figured out and fortunately I think the younger generation is on our team but it doesn't mean that we have to that we can stop working and I ha- I'm talking to myself right now yeah I'm excited in fact once I come up for a little air to be able to start getting more involved and that goes back to what I was saying earlier about just giving just giving is such a selfish or, or it's just, it, it feeds the soul in such a good way. Anytime I go to 52nd Street Project, I'm, I walk out of there feeling amazing. And oddly enough, I find that anytime you do do that, it brings, the universe rewards you in this way. You just
0: get the focus Karmically, for yourself. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We're so much focused on our own self, you know, like, <laughs> well, how am I today, you know? And then the second you give it to someone, you know, try to help someone else, you're like, oh, this is so much easier. So much more rewarding and so much more fun. So.
0: Well, that's a great place to end. I <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Rick.
1: thank you, Leah. Awesome. It's an honor.
0: Thank you for listening to the Compass podcast. If you find these conversations valuable to your life as an artist and would like to support the ongoing production of the Compass please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash the compass podcast pledges start at as little as one dollar a month you'll get access to bonus content and anything you can give would be greatly appreciated also if you have a moment please rate or review in itunes every little bit helps other listeners to find the podcast i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by Brandon spieth Audio assistance from Nick Choksi, and a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time.